0: I wanted to start my conversation with ProPublica's Alec McGillis back at the Richmond City School Board meeting on March 15th, 2021.
1: That school board meeting, all the monthly school board meetings in the 2021 school year were all held remotely. Everyone just zooming in on their own. So it's like a big checkerboard of of faces.
2: Just for clarity, are we doing the two minutes in? Yes, I'm sorry. Thank you for asking. Is everyone in agreement with the two minutes as we have and no more than two hours? I think we have about 58 pages. In,
1: in, in March of 21, Richmond schools were almost completely closed. Um, and it was it was pretty clear by that point that they were not going to be reopening uh, that school year. And so they were going to be remaining closed until the start of the twenty-one fall 21 school year, which means that all 22,000 Kids in Richmond, or most of them, would be out of school for for a total of 18 months, one of the longest stretches of virtual learning in the country.
0: On the agenda at this particular meeting, a proposal to change the school calendar to help students after test scores plummeted during the pandemic. The proposal involved a shorter summer for everyone and more instructional days for the kids who needed it most. Alec has been covering the issue of learning loss during the pandemic and the specific attempts to address it in Richmond, Virginia. I I think you wrote that the school board received 58 pages of comments and that a board member spent two hours reading all those comments aloud.
1: It was an extraordinary um, wave of public input.
2: Antonia Vassar. I'm the parent of a second grader at Fisher Elementary in the 4th District and a kindergartner starting next year, and I support the proposed calendar changes. I hope the new calendar will be implemented in time for this upcoming school year.
0: Some wanted to try a longer school year. Others felt like the change would be yet another disruption to kids and teachers.
2: Okay. Uh, No, I do not agree. I don't like the situation. I don't even know why you guys thought the kids were going to actually be cool with y'all making this decision for us. Virtual school
1: The proposal um, was essentially punted for a year. They, they said, we're not ready to do this now, but we will do it for the following school year. That still didn't actually happen in the end.
0: What did happen is the Richmond City Public Schools decided to do a pilot version of the program. Shorten the summer, lengthen the school year, pay teachers well for this extra work. In the end, just two schools opted into the experiment. Their school doors opened to kids four weeks early in July. What started as a proposal for 22,000 students is now affecting about 1,000. Why has extending the school year, changing the calendar, turned out to be such a controversial idea?
1: You know, I think part of it is both in Richmond and around the country an unwillingness or reluctance to face up to just how. Extreme the fallback, the decline in student achievement has been over this period. I think it's it's hard for many parents and teachers and educators to just sort of look at that squarely and, and, and sort of really acknowledge just how how much we've actually lost.
0: Today on the show, the pandemic's long-term impact on American students and what can be done about it. I'm Yasmin Khan in for Mary Harris.
1: Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com
0: slash credit card. When we say learning loss, what exactly does that mean? What are we referring to?
1: We're referring to results on, on various tests that students take on a regular basis. Over these last couple of years, we've just seen these extraordinary, unprecedented drops where, where you have you know, fourth graders, eighth graders, various grade levels, um, seeing their math and reading scores um, decline dramatically from a few years ago. In Richmond, in some cases, they were looking at up to two years of, of losses. So essentially, an eighth grader was back to like sixth grade level in in math, um, that sort of thing. What's perhaps most demoralizing is that we've seen very recently that since the schools reopened uh, nationwide in fall of 21, not not only are we not seeing the kind of acceleration that you would need to catch up to make up for the lost ground. But it appears, in some cases, there's been a slowing of achievement since schools reopened nationwide, so that students are progressing at a slower pace than they were before the pandemic,
0: which makes sense, given what students have been through. But keep in mind that before the pandemic, things were actually trending in the right direction,
1: and, and that's just something important to keep in mind when the discussion often turns to these sort of grand abstractions about schools are in big trouble now students are in big trouble. But they've always been, our schools are, have always been broken, pandemic now finally just revealed just how broken they are. There's been a lot of that kind of talk. And in fact, it is important to keep in mind that our, our educators had, in fact, been making real strides. And and so um, that's what makes these losses so especially heartbreaking to see that they're just a massive reversal, massive lost ground that we had quite impressively managed to gain in the last uh, you know, 20, 30 years.
0: I want to ask the obvious question of why test scores have fallen. Um, obviously, we had a pandemic and schools were closed, and kids were just doing virtual learning, if any learning. But I just, but there are, you know, also more nuanced reasons.
1: The the obvious reason is is really the most important one. I mean, the, it was just it was just incredible. As anyone with which kids knows, watching them try to learn in that year or in the case of some cities like Richmond, you know, a year and a half to learn online on the computer was so extraordinarily difficult. And and many, many educators have spoken to that difficulty themselves and just how immensely challenging it was. There's all the material and content that was um, imperfectly delivered or not delivered at all. And then on top of it, you're also dealing with just extraordinary um i guess we, what many people educators call you know social emotional challenges of students now having come back into the classroom and really you know really struggling at a very at a more basic level not just in terms of uh, the curriculum but in terms of being in a, in a sort of frame of mind to to learn
0: i want to get back to your recent reporting um for some in richmond the solution to this problem became more time, specifically in the form of the extended school year. This was first proposed in 2021. Again, tell me, what did that initial proposal look like?
1: The initial proposal that this school district officials came up with in the spring of 21 was to change the school calendar to keep 100 days, a 100-day calendar for most kids, but have a much shorter summer break and longer breaks during the year to try to reduce the, the summer slide that happens during summer, long summer vacations. And then also have additional instruction for about a quarter of the district students who are deemed most in, in most need of extra time. So they would get up to 40 days of additional instruction with additional compensation for teachers who were, who were working during those breaks for those students.
0: Right. So in in 2021 the school board seemed to agree to implement an extended year at every school for 2022-23 and that didn't happen.
1: That did not happen.
0: What happened instead? What what happened to the support? It seemed to disappear.
1: It it did disappear. It in the fall of 21 the superintendent came forward with with various detailed proposals for how to implement this extended year um, plan with additional instruction for some students. And all of a sudden, some school board members, including ones who had voted for the plan just the previous spring, said that they weren't so sure about it now. Um, the district was was planning to survey parents um, and staff about the various proposals, and they a- asked that they please add to the list uh, of options on the survey, the status quo, just to not, in fact, uh, do do this. And the district superintendent was puzzled because he said, I thought we had agreed to do this, but he reluctantly added the status quo to the menu of options. And lo and behold, it came back with the most support. The status quo. The status quo. Not doing anything.
0: What were you hearing from parents? you've interviewed. Who was skeptical of the plan? Who was mostly on board? What were they saying?
1: Well, for starters, there were some interesting demographic variations in the parent responses. Not doing anything, the status quo had the strongest support across the board among parents, but but it was especially strongly supported, especially popular among the district's white parents. Richmond has a majority Black district. There's been a lot of white flight in the Richmond schools over the years. and Lots of, lots of white families go to private schools. But the white families that are still in the, in the Richmond schools were especially supportive of, of not changing the calendar. And for some of them, it was as simple as, as not wanting to you know, change summer vacation. Um, black parents also favored not doing anything but at a lower, lower rate. Um, the, the majority there was was not as dramatic as it was among white parents. There was it was a more um, it was more mixed, and that's actually what I found when I went to speak to parents at a public housing development. There, the overwhelming sense, just from the people I was speaking with, was was of one of support for changing the calendar, adding more time.
0: Yeah, and many opponents were teachers what uh, what were some of their arguments for opposing changes to the to the calendar
1: you know for some even though they were going to be getting paid quite a bit more um, for for the additional instruction that was going to be provided for some that was just not worth the trade off you know they the, the real sense of strain and burnout uh, especially after the year of remote learning which was for, you know so trying teaching on zoom the notion of of having to spend more time at school, more time in the classroom, for was for many teachers, um, not a even even for more pay was was not an appealing one. Some teachers who see all the sort of bigger, deeper structural flaws in um, our school system, were wondering, you know, why why do we think simply having more days of this imperfect system is going to make such a big difference. What we really need to do is kind of blow it all up and start from scratch.
0: You know, Why do you think there was this burst of initial support only for it to crumble when it got closer for this plan to actually being implemented?
1: One board member basically admitted to me that when she voted for the proposal in the first place in the spring of 21 and then turned around um, half a year later and voted against it that she had essentially been kicking it down the road. But, but more broadly, I think it's what happens so often in a lot of other realms of life and policy and politics where you have the crisis and when the crisis happens, there's this real recognition for the need for dramatic action. But as time goes on, it's very easy to grow complacent and to think that things are actually, that we can actually get by after all without taking uh, big or possibly difficult actions. One quote that really struck with me was from a, a mother who was picking up her kids at school. And I asked her about what she made of the fact that the district did not end up embracing a more, more uh, dramatic change in the calendar. And she said she was fine with it. And her line was essentially, yeah, so the students lost ground, but, but they don't know that. You know, it might show up on some on some test score somewhere, but the students themselves don't know what they don't know. And it was a very, very striking articulation of a kind of complacent mindset that basically says, look, we went through this terrible time, but you know, it happened, and now we just gotta move forward.
0: After the break, Richmond comes up with a compromise. We are now in the 2023-24 school year. What ended up happening in Richmond?
1: So after Richmond did not go forward with the district-wide reform of changing the calendar and adding time for some students, the superintendent made another try um, the following year and he proposed a pilot program where only a small number of schools would try to add 20 days to the calendar. He was he called it the 200-day pilot. So, and in, in, instead of the usual 180 days of school, a few schools would be chosen to start early to start school in late July, um, adding 20 days to the calendar, and teachers at these schools would get a lot more compensation for for basically giving up a month of their summer vacation. They would get an additional month of salary plus $10,000 incentive on top of that additional month of salary plus a chance at additional $5,000 if their school met certain metrics. And uh, schools were invited to apply for this pilot. And in the end, um, only two schools were selected for this pilot. And so on July 24th, these two schools opened up it was pretty remarkable to to see just you know while everyone else in, in town was still deep in the midst of their summer vacation these two schools were were back in class
0: so for the two schools participating how have the first few weeks of the school year been
1: so the big question of course was if kids would even show up right there were a lot of skeptics who one of the arguments against This proposal was that it wasn't even going to work, that how are you going to get um, families uh, kids to completely change their summer routine and suddenly start going back to school in in late July, in the middle of the summer. And um, in, in that first week, the school that is very heavily Latino, they had incredibly strong turnout right from the get-go, they were around 95% attendance for that first week. The other school, Fairfield Court Elementary, which is very heavily African-American, they were around 80% for that first week.
0: I'm wondering how Richmond will determine if this pilot is having a positive impact. And, and at what point do they look to make that determination? Um, because this is such a brand new experiment, at only two schools, you know, is there a way to determine if it's working after even just a year? A year is not a lot of time.
1: It's not, but they're gonna do their best to try to assess it. There's of course gonna be just very close, close looks at the various standardized assessments that Richmond uses over the course of the school year, and they're just gonna see how students at these two schools are how their progress is comparing with their progress before the pilot and with students at the other schools in town but something you know i think also as simple as as the attendance will also be taken into account the fact that they were in fact able to even to get kids to come to school they'll do s- surveys presumably of, of students and staff to see how people felt that, that it went and then the question will become if, if it shows if it's shown to have um, an impact how how much to broaden it and um, I think that my sense is that the superintendent is not planning to to try to do anything district-wide immediately because that was just met with such um, such resistance. My sense is that it's going to be much more a matter of gradual expansion.
0: From what you're saying, it, if I'm hearing it correctly, it sounds like even if they will do surveys and look at attendance, they will be mostly looking at standardized test scores? Yes. Does that raise any red flags for you about what can really be measured after one year?
1: No, I think that there's a, I think most education researchers would say that there's, that you absolutely can hope to see some some impact from an additional, I mean, think about it, this is additional, it's additional 20 days. That's, you know, right there, it's more than 10% of the school year um, added on. It's not crazy to think that you might be able to see um, in, in impact at the end of that first year.
0: Huh. I, I'm asking because it, it, I mean, it makes sense to focus on adding time because we lost time. Um, and it makes sense to look at academic achievement, um, you know, or it just in, it makes sense to look at those skills, reading and math skills. But is there an equal effort to really address the underlying barriers to learning? Because there was a lot that was lost. Like when we talk about learning loss, there's a lot in there. And I guess I'm asking about if it makes sense to look at test scores after the first year, because it seems like you would need a lot of time to help kids work through trauma, to help kids be in a school environment again. They lost studenthood, you know, being in a class, working out differences with others. And, and feeling safe, like feeling feeling safe, being in a building again. Um, because if students don't feel safe and supported, and all these other ways, they're not going to be able to learn.
1: Those are all very real challenges, and that and this district has absolutely been working to address them. The there's a been a huge emphasis at at Fairfield Court, for instance, on the social emotional aspects and. Um, They, especially in that first, when they first got back to school in the 21, 22 year, there was a lot of even even very basic things like circle times and quiet times, meditation times. The fact is, though, that at the end of the day, the time is still the most, is still so crucial because that is what was lost. and social scientists I spoke to, the, the experts basically just said that of all the different approaches that we can now take to try to, to help get students back on track, additional time is probably the most valuable. While there are problems with with standardized assessments, there's some that are better than others at gauging progress. We have to keep in mind that this is not just about numbers and averages, and it's not an abstraction. These are, these are the best ways we have of of judging how our students are gaining skills. And skills are so closely tied to life outcomes. We just need to really keep that in mind. This is about the livelihood and the life prospects of these children.
0: You have noted that there is some amount of, well, that there's a lack of urgency, maybe some amount of complacency among policymakers. Or maybe even parents. I'm not sure, but I guess I'm just wondering why. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that there's not an all hands on deck, we have to take urgent action approach to this right now?
1: Part of it is that it's just a lack of a lack of awareness among many parents about just how dramatic the falling off has been, and that's that's in part because a lot of schools are still are being more generous in their grading. Um, so there's a general recognition that that students you know are really have really had a lot of challenges these last few years um, and so students are maybe coming home with grades that look okay um, but don't really re- reflect just how much they've lost and how much um, how, how extreme the losses are on the in, the in those aggregate assessments of where our kids are. Part of it is also uh, I think some at some level let's say still a lingering, Discomfort over the whole decision to close schools as long as we did. Um so there's some sense that if we really look squarely at how much we've at how much we've lost and how much now needs to be done, that that somehow brings up you know disquiet around those decisions. Finally, uh, part of it at the at the sort of national political media level is that so much of our attention these days when it comes to education, education policy has not been around these massive, uh, unprecedented declines in student achievement, but it's instead been around the um, classroom culture war issues, you know, so-called book bans and curriculum debates. And really, it's really quite striking if you step back and look at it because um While some of those debates and battles have been very acute in certain districts, um, there's meanwhile, there's just been this unprecedented nationwide crisis that is not getting as much attention as it should deserve.
0: Alec, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Alec McGillis is a reporter for ProPublica. That's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus, go to slate.com/whatnext+ to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne and Madeline Ducharme. We're led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the senior director of podcast operations at Slate, and I'm Yasmin Khan. Thanks for listening.